The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at karm.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. It's me, Matchlick. You're listening to Matchlick Live. I hope you had a good weekend. I had a good weekend. I got to laze around yesterday and uh, not do a whole bunch. Uh, watch TV. My wife kind of lets me do that. I think it's because I work so hard during the week and then stuff like that. Which reminds me, I'll be preaching down in uh, Provo, Utah on the 2nd, first Sunday of October at uh, City on a Hill, right? Is that what it is? City on a Hill Church. And uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, I guess, is when the service starts. And we're going to do eats, probably, whatever, afterwards. I don't know, go out to some eat or whatever. But, uh, and we talked about me doing a Q&A on Saturday, but I don't know if it's a good idea or not, if everybody shows up. We haven't got any uh, any feedback that people want to do something like that, so probably won't do it. Other than that, I think that's about it. If you want to give me a call, we have five open lines, 877 2276. Um, you know, something I was thinking about uh, something here. I think I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, this is uh, 1 Timothy 4. And I'm going to read this. This is uh, what the Bible says will happen in the end times. And uh, so over the weekend, I, I can never really sit there and do nothing. I have to uh, be involved, or if I'm vegging, I'm really vegging, you know, but, uh, you know, watch TV or some stupid sci-fi thing. But um, I always want to witness, and I always want to share the faith. It's just something that's in me. Um, I remember once uh, my wife and I were, were in bed talking, you know, and, and uh, you know, got to go to work the next day, that kind of thing, and we're just talking. And I was telling her how frustrating it was to work in ministry. And I said, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. I think I'm going to just quit, just just focus on the secular uh, field. And she's looking at me. And I said, I'm going to focus on, on the secular issues and, you know, get, just make it in a corporation and, and so I can provide. Because right now it's too difficult. Uh, the ministry, uh, the lack of funds, these difficulties. And I said, I, I'm just going to do that. And she looked at me. She goes, uh-huh. I said, no, no, I'm serious. I serious, you know, I, I because of, and I gave her another two minute reason. She looks at me. She says, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, no, you don't believe me, do you? She goes, nope. Well, look, I, you know, I've been going through this for years and really struggling, and, and it's time, to, you know, move a different direction. And she says to me, you've got it bad. She says, you'll never be able to stop witnessing or serve God. You will never be able to. It's part of you. And I wanted to respond and say, no, no, no. But it was yes, yes, yes. She was right. And wherever I go, uh, I want to witness. And even today, I went out and I had to mail a package. And I'm in line, and I finally get up there. And, and I use my last name as, as a means of witnessing. You know, my last name is Slick, and, which is an unusual name. And I say, and I'm a reverend, too. You know, Reverend Slick. It's just not someone you can trust. And I try and use that as an open door to, smi- you know, give people to smile or whatever. And uh, you know, today I talked and said that, and this lady, oh, I work at a at a, uh, a Nazarene church, and we got talking a little bit. But I, I just don't, uh, I don't see how people can't witness. Now I got it bad. That's just me. You know, it's all subjective. I know people are intimidated; they don't have the confidence. And uh, 
they either lack the confidence or they lack something else that I definitely have, and that's being obnoxious and obstreperous. And so, uh, you know, combine that with a little bit of autism, and I'll get out there and just and say stuff, kind of like Kramer in Seinfeld. You know, just say it and and uh, get out there. Well, this uh, this this weekend I was in three or four different venues. I was on a Facebook venue live chat. I was on Oculus in the metaverse. I was on, um, uh, let's see, Discord, and I was on um, Clubhouse. And you know, I'm well, I'm, well, I say well known, but I'm I'm known well enough, I should say, get in these different venues. And oh, you're Matt Slick from Carmen, blah blah blah. There are a variety of people that I encounter. Some people who just think I'm great, and then there are some who think I am evil. And I mean, they hate me. And this weekend was no exception. So I I met some people, and they had the lowest opinion of me as possible. They were uh, atheists, of course. They're not all atheists think that. Some atheists, they're, they're great folks, you know, on a human level. But there are some, and they hide behind nicknames, and they'll say the most vile things. And I'm encountering this more and more. As I think about stuff, and this reminds me, in First Timothy four one, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars. Now, you know, I've been saying hypocrisy is a form of lying, and notice what it says here in First Timothy four two, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And I'm telling you, I meet these people, and they are seared. Their conscience, are, they have no qualms about promoting ungodliness and unholiness. And one of the things I've started to do lately is just simply say, you are ungodly, you're unholy, and it looks like God's given you over to the depravity of your hearts and your minds. And I'll say this, and man, it's like going up with a baseball bat and hit a hornet's nest. Uh, they come unglued, and uh, it then becomes a dog pile of attack. And, uh, and I just wait and, and say what I'm going to say. Say it again. And so, uh, you know, it says it goes on: men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be grateful. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of verses like this in, in different areas of the scriptures that talk about things like this. But I'll tell you, it's really it's becoming more and more prevalent. And one of the things I've noticed is an increase of using the Lord's name in vain. People are doing that more and more. And as I watch videos on YouTube, varying things, people are just, for no reason, they'll use the Lord's name in vain. And in chat rooms, they will do the same thing. So, you know, um, it's interesting. And we're encountering it more and more, and I think it'll continue. So we need to be praying for people. And one of the things uh, that is difficult is to actually pray for those who persecute. Uh, it is difficult. I don't want to do that, but I'm going to have to learn how to do that anyway. Second Timothy 3, 1, for men will be... Uh, let me go to verse 1. Uh, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self... Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, 
treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Wow. Anyway, so where I tramp um, into the darkness and into the the sewage of human hatred and sin, they go into varying uh, discussion forums and tramp around in their vileness, trying to spread a little bit of light and truth in that darkness. Let me tell you, I've met so much opposition, and it's increasing. It is increasing. Anyway, something to pray about, something to think about. Hey, three open lines. If you want to give me a call, eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. Glenn from Utah, welcome. You're on the air. Uh, hey, man. Um, I was calling. I was reading in Acts chapter okay. one. Um, mm-hmm. okay. uh, I was trying, uh, uh, chapter one, verse four, and being someone to go with them, commanded them that they should depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, you have heard of me. For John told baptized with water, so you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost in day sin. I'm trying to understand how come they, a lot of people believe Peter was baptized with water. Wait, 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 I can't understand you. You, you you spoke fast, and then I have a hearing loss. Then I couldn't understand a few words, and then that oh. means I can't follow you. So go ahead, say that, say that again. You want to know what? Uh, being right there, where it's, it's in red too, in my my King James. Okay. Uh, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. not with water. How come so many believe that Peter was baptized with water? And I'm the only first time I see water baptism mentioned is with the eunuch and uh the yeah. lord i think it was still if i was trying to find it in my little bottle oh, okay L- let me but jump in the lord called in. him let, away yeah. let, let me jump in yeah that's acts chapter eight but uh in acts one five for john baptized with water that's what jesus said so there's a first mention of water baptism in yeah. acts is right there okay so i'm not yeah. sure what you're what you're asking though go ahead well i mean Peter, did he not baptize with the Holy Spirit, not with water? That's what I'm no, asking. No, in Acts, Acts 10, 44-48, hold on, let me answer. In Acts 10, 44-48, okay. uh, they, Peter said, bring water for them to be baptized. Okay. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Is that the centurion? No, it's the Gentiles. The Gentiles in Acts chapter 10... Uh, here, let me go to it. Acts ten forty four, and while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues, and exalting God. Then Peter answered, "Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, Kenny." Okay. Okay, you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I was yeah when I read that, I was wondering if he's what he's referencing when he says water. There is not what Jesus was told told that woman at the well. John four is not the same. Water. He's talking about the word. Whoa, 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 whoa! You you can't take the word water in another context and then transfer it over to uh, another place. Everything means what it means in context. 
Okay. So you okay. can't do that because if you do that, you will end up in error, a great deal of error. Okay. Always okay. read in context what the words mean in context. Otherwise, you'll get into all kinds of problems. Okay. Now, are you saying water baptism is not for today? Yeah, that's what I was trying to. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's for today. No. Well, uh, Peter in Acts ten commanded that they be baptized with water. So, if it's not for today, why would Peter command it be done with water? Okay. Well, where does Paul command that? Though? Okay, well, hold on. That didn't answer the question. Why would Peter command it? This is after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. So now the church is in place and is moving along. And Peter says water to be baptized. Okay? Yeah. So that's, okay. that's what he said. Okay? Mm -hmm. Are you there? All right? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm here. Okay. But what so, about... Paul and what he taught. That's what I was saying. What about what? What? What do you mean? What about Paul and what he taught? I don't understand the question. Well, I'm trying to understand one baptism. That uh, talks about the Holy five. Spirit. The Holy Ghost is not water. That's what I was trying to. I mean, that's what I was trying to understand. Water and the Holy Ghost are two different. That's two different baptisms. Right. Well, hold on. We got a break, and we'll talk about it some more after the break. Okay. Hold on. We'll get to it. Hey, folks, if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. We'll be right back after these messages. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. All right, if you want to give me a call, three open lines, 877-207-2276. Let's get back on here with Glenn from Utah. All right, Glenn. So, uh, yeah. go ahead. You wanted to ask something about Paul and baptism. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, and water is two different baptisms. That's what I was trying to understand. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which seems to be the manifestation of speaking in tongues and various things like that out of Acts 2 and Acts 10. Water baptism is a covenant sign, probably replacing circumcision as a sign and a seal of the faith that's already had and possessed, out of, probably out of Romans 4.11 and continues out of the Abrahamic covenant representation. And there's a relationship between baptism and circumcision in Colossians 2.11 and 12. So uh, baptism is uh, practiced today. It should be practiced today in water. Okay? Yeah, Are you but, there? Uh, but that doesn't, yeah, but the water being baptized in water is not safe. It's like a, a procession of our faith. Water does not, uh, getting dunked in water is not what, what makes us saved. Okay? It's, we're justified by faith in Christ. And baptism is an identification with Christ, which is, Paul teaches this uh, idea in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, when people were baptized into Moses when they passed through the Red Sea. 
And so Paul uses the phrase or the word baptism as a form of identification with the work and the ministry of Moses. So when we're baptized into Christ, it means we're identifying ourselves with the ministry and work of Christ. Okay? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Have a good evening. <laughs> you do, Glenn. Okay, God bless. All right. Hey, folks, if you want to give me a call, four open lines, 877-207-2276. Let's go to the phone with Matt from North Carolina. Welcome. You're on the air. Hey, Matt. Um, I had a quick question for you. I was sure. wondering, where did the wife um, for Seth come from? Oh, that's easy. If you go to uh, Genesis 5 and you read verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own, like, uh, his own likeness. According to his image, he named him Seth. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So, Adam, I mean, uh, Cain and Abel just married one of their sisters. Got it. Okay. All right. Yeah, I just... I wasn't quite picking up on that. One of my friends asked me that question, so I wanted to find out. Thank you. Yeah, there's a little bit of of an addition uh, to this because a lot of people say, "Well, wait a minute. The Bible says don't marry your sisters," and it does. That does not come into place until much later. As Adam and Eve were created by God, their genetics, let's just say, was were perfect, were pure. So interbreeding was okay for a few centuries until God said, "Okay, enough of that," and that was it. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. All right, man. God bless. Okay. Hey, if you want to give me a call, four open lines, 877-207-2276. So um, I'll be down in preaching in Provo, Utah. For those who are down there, if you want to go, you know, whatever. Uh, We're going to probably hang around after the church, maybe do something to eat. Um, We'll just see. Because I'd like to stay down there. And won't get back up in the sandy area until the evening, if then. Uh, probably be later. But at any rate, so I'll be down there in Provo probably most of the day. If you want to uh, go to the church, uh, hey, say hi. It'd be nice to meet you, you know. Uh, I'd like to meet the listeners. So if you want to do that, uh, City on a Hill Church, Provo, Utah, 10 a.m. So you can go there and check it out. All right. All right. All right. Let's get to, let's see, Jamar from Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome. You're on the air. Thank you. Thank you so much for answering my call. Um, my long-time listener, third time calling in. Um, okay. I have a question in regards to God's love. Is God's love unconditional? And what kind of love? <laughs> um, I would say, is God's agape love unconditional? And um, it's really guaranteed, I mean, not guaranteed, but it's really uh, focused on one particular group of people and I would say those who I would say are currently in hell if God's love is unconditional in every meaning of the word does God still have love for those souls that uh, are condemned to hell well that's a good question and I can't give you a definitive answer okay just can't do it because there's a lot involved with this topic so in Psalm 5.5, I'm read you that, okay? We'll just okay. lay some stuff down, we'll talk. It says, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do, in, who do iniquity. So the psalmist is saying that God hates all who do iniquity. In Psalm 11.5, the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Like, wait a minute, I thought God loved everybody. 
Well, and then you go to Romans chapter 9, starting around verse 9. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, her father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. So, does God hate people? Yes, he does. It's right there in Scripture. Now, people are surprised by that. Then they get to the idea of agape love. Well, uh, agapao, to love, the verb form, is found in many places in the Bible, including Luke 11.43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you agape, you love the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So agape does not always mean divine love. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. when God is loving, that's, you know, that's what we're focusing on. Okay, so when God is loving, does he love everyone? There is a sense in which the answer is yes. And that's Matthew 5, starting at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you're to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So. In that section of scripture, that pericope, it says to love your enemies. And because it says, mm -hmm. love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say, love your enemies because God sends the rain. So if you love them, what do you have? You're not even doing that. So it looks like God is loving them in what's called uh, a providence, uh, providential grace, in that he is showing a kind of love and grace to them of providing sunshine, rain, air, family, food, etc. In that sense, he's loving everybody. But in another sense, he does not, because he hates all who do iniquity. And so we need to be changed from the place of outside of God's uh, will and outside of uh, God's uh, love to inside, and that can only be done through Christ. So you see how the question is not an easy one to answer, and there's a break. So if you could hold on, we'll talk a little bit more about it after the break. Okay, okay buddy? All right. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's a very good question, and it's not just an easy one. Now we go to John 3.16, God's love the world. And we'll talk about that and what that means, all right? Hey, folks, we'll be right back. Three open lines, 877 We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's the bottom of the hour. If you want to give me a call, three open lines, 877-207-2276. All right, let's get back on the air here with uh, Jamar. you welcome? I mean, you welcome. Yes, <laughs> yeah, are you still there? <laughs> I'm still here. So right, I have man. what I have, my the reason the basis of my question really was because I had just looked at a video not too long ago of R.C. Sproul ask, answering this same question, is God's mm -hmm. love unconditional? And he said no, and that was really based off the analogy that if someone who doesn't 
know God, let's say you're in a situation where someone doesn't know God, haven't, don't know anything about him, and then they hear a preacher say, God's love is unconditional, then they would say in their heads, oh, well, that means there's no conditions, you know what I mean, right. uh, you know, to God's love. That means I can live how I want to live, do what I want right. to do, because at the end of the day, God's love is still, you know what I mean, not going to change for me. So it's almost like a, a, a license to just sin or to live however you want to do because at the end of the day guys god, god, god loves me yeah and, and i think and, and his whole... correct mm-hmm. yeah because yes, that's yes. why i was talking and, about and, the and kinds of love that's we we have to discuss that first and there is the sense when god does not love everybody and it's not unconditional because in the sense of salvific love and salvation it's conditioned on on the work of christ He'll love you if you're in Christ in a saving way. He can love you in a generic way, common grace, common love, by letting the rain uh, fall on you, the sun, and things like that. That's why when we're talking about the nature of God's love, we're going to be more specific in what aspect of it. That's why. I understand. And that was the conclusion I came up uh, with, too, was that there were two types, not two types of love, but there were two facets in which God does love and in, in, in the in the first uh, which you alluded to, I, I think I call common grace as far as God right. reigning on the just and the unjust right. in a sense and then that salvific love for those who do come to him um, mm-hmm. uh, definitely find that love, that eternal love um, Amen But uh, to the second uh, question, do you well, matter of fact, you actually answered it never mind all right. Thank you so much for answering my call, Doc. Amen. No <laughs> problem, thank buddy. Thank you so much, and I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. You too. God bless. All right. You know, some people uh, like to talk about the issue of uh, John 3.16. And uh, John 3.16 is an interesting verse um, because of, whoops, let me get this going here with this. What it says, John 3.16 says, so God so loved the world. And that means every individual, right? No. Because the word world means what it means in context. Because Jesus was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew fifteen twenty four, And Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was not sent to the whole world, but only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. A lot of people are surprised by this. So I can tell you confidently and biblically, Jesus was not sent to the whole world. He was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This means that he was covenantally sent only to them. The house of Israel is the term in reference to national Israel. That's what's going on there. It's a reference to national Israel, the nation. So he wasn't sent to the world, to all the nation groups, but only to the house of Israel. So when it says God's love the world, he's saying it's not just the nation of Israel, but all the people groups, all the nations. So it's the whole world. You can't say it's every individual. That's what I'm saying right there about that particular verse. Three open lines. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Nancy from Virginia, welcome. You're on the air. Um, hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, um, what sort of, um, what, what could I say instead of taking the Lord's name in vain? 
What do you say oh, instead of it? I don't, yeah. I, I'm not sure I understand the question. You want to say something besides using the Lord's name in vain as an exclamation? Yeah. Yeah, well, like a, 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 as, an, as an expletive, what would be crazy? Oh, or, like, <laughs> oh I get it. Oh, my goodness. Or, oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Goodness, or, yeah. Yeah, I'll, wow. I'll, I'll do that. I'll say, no, oh, man, or, oh, my goodness, or crud, or things like that. Those are my exclamations. When I'm talking to a computer, because I believe it or not, I talk to my computers. I used to be a computer tech for five years at Hewlett Packard, and I, I learned to talk to my computers. And I'll say, You just, you stinking piece of crud. And I'll talk to them. They've never answered back, so I'll continue to do that until. But that's as far as I'll go. That's it. And, and we should not take the okay. Lord's name in vain. Yeah, you can say, Oh, darn, or heck, you know, things like that. Okay. Okay, clean things. Clean. That's what I'm looking for. Right. Or, right. or if you can, just don't say anything. You know, just say, "Oh, this is where I should say an expletive that's uh, that's not bad." But I don't have time. And I don't know what to say. You can say the whole sentence like that, but I don't, you know, probably wouldn't be, wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. God bless. You too. God bless. Bye bye. Bye. Four open lines. Eight seven seven two zero seven two two. Seven six Joe from Richmond, Virginia. Welcome. You're on the air. All right. Uh, I got a common sense approach to baptism, mm. and so what I want to ask you is: uh, Now Jesus was born. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, and then one of the apostles was riding with this guy in a chariot, and he said, "There's a stream." So he baptized the guy in the stream. So, if immersion wasn't the way to do it, and let's say that I was the per- person doing the baptizing, then I would walk the candidate down to the edge of the stream, reach down, cup my hands, and pour water over his head uh, out of my hands. Uh, I wouldn't want to walk out into a muddy stream bottom. I wouldn't want to tie my clothes all up so they wouldn't get wet. So, it, to me, it's it's common sense that it is immersion. Because if it wasn't, why would you walk out into a stream? Okay. What you've offered is your personal preference of what you would or would not do, as though that's the standard, and now we have to judge Scripture by it. That's a mistake. Okay, you well, see, no, 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 I, no, no. I, I, yes, yes, I, yes, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You said, I wouldn't this, I wouldn't that. Common sense, it's all subjective. You're saying common sense according to what I understand and how I would do it. I wouldn't do this. So why would they do that? That's your logic, and it's not good it's logic, okay? Well, okay, so maybe I wasn't clear. I believe in immersion. I'm saying that's okay. the way... I believe it should be done. What okay. I'm saying is, if immersion wasn't the way to do it, then why would they walk? Why would they walk out into a stream and get wet and muddy? I agree with immersion. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not an issue of getting wet and muddy. You got, you can't do that. You can't say why would they go get wet and muddy, as if that means they shouldn't get immersed or sprinkled or poured. It's not logically consistent with the argument to insert that as a criteria that would invalidate uh, baptism as a different form. Okay? But look at the text. 
all right and okay. he ordered the chariot to stop they both went down into the water now if it's immersion Agreed. if it's immersion they both went into the water were they both immersed were they no just the candidate okay so you say that the candidate does it say that they were immersed or one was immersed doesn't no. says they're baptized and baptism has different meanings in different contexts and I have no problem with immersion okay I don't have a problem with it I prefer to immerse people I'm just saying don't assume the word baptized automatically means immerse because Jesus when he was baptized he was baptized to fulfill the Old Testament law and the only place Amen. I can and the only place I can find where he was fulfilling anything is in Leviticus 8 numbers uh, 4 and Exodus 29 when he was fulfilling the requirements of entering into the priesthood and he had to be sprinkled with water sprinkled according to the law to enter into the okay. priesthoods so it would it makes sense to say Jesus was sprinkled at his baptism it just makes sense okay I didn't know that I yeah. learned something yeah and I know people who they don't agree with me and I say well okay find you know I just say you know not like a challenge but it's but it is but it's not it's a friendly one find any place in the Old Testament where uh, anyone entering into the priesthood because Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek and and look and see where they were immersed in water and you, you don't find it so Jesus in my, as far as I'm concerned he was sprinkled according to the law and that's numbers 8 7 so okay you know, I don't have any problem with that. But there's logistical problems with immersion too. If you want me to talk, if you want to hold, I'll tell you why. There's there's some serious logistical sure. problems. Okay, hold on. Hey folks, we'll be right back after these messages. If you want, give me a call eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody, welcome back to the last segment of the show. Let's get back on with Joe from Richmond. Are you still there? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, I was saying there are logistical problems with the idea of immersion in certain contexts. That's all. I'm not, I'm not saying immersion is not a valid form of baptism. But uh, in the upper room, 3,000 were, were baptized in, in one night. Uh, if I did the math, if uh, the 12 disciples, it doesn't say how many were baptizing. So let's just say 12 disciples. And that just gives us a, a look at numbers and things like that. If 12 disciples were baptizing 3,000 people, they would have to do it uh, for, eight, and they did it for eight hours straight without a break then they would have to each would have to baptize a, a person in every two minutes and roughly 20 seconds hold on i'm on radio okay my daughter just came over um and so uh, hey you know it's okay and so uh every two minutes and 20 seconds plus there's the, the logistical problem of um of uh you, you dump someone in water well, let's put it this way. In the Jordan River, the Jordan River, I've been there, is definitely on the cold side. You don't want to stay in there for hours and hours. You get hypothermia. So uh, that would mean, you know, maybe say someone's up to their their hips in water. 
and how long could you last in there? Few, you know, a few hours. But then that would mean that people would come out there, be baptized by immersion. You have to drop them in the water and lift them up. Now, that's not that hard to do. But try and do it every 2 minutes and 20 seconds for 8 hours. After a while, it's going to become very, very difficult because when you drop someone in the water, they come up wet. They weigh more than what they did going down. And so this, you know, it, it's logistically difficult to justify how 12 disciples could be baptizing for 8 hours at the Jordan. They certainly weren't going to do it in the upper room, and they certainly weren't going to do it in a local fountain because that would dirty the water and people drank out of it. They had to go to the Jordan. And so there's just problems there. And uh, it makes sense to say that they were either poured on or sprinkled on because that was how things were done in the Old Testament. Things that were anointed for holy use were sprinkled with, uh, with oil and or water. And it was a designation of an anointing. And people just don't study this stuff, but I, I do. And I've got a whole file on baptism, just on baptism, and it's 36 pages. And so I have things like baptized with water and uh, to wash them with water in Exodus 29, uh, 4, or Exodus 30, 20. It says, meaning they shall wash with water. And Mark 1, 8, I baptize with water. Okay, well, wait a minute. If the way that the phrase with water is used means to apply water to a person instead of being dumped in it, like Exodus 29, 4, Exodus 33, or 30, 20, well, then he, Mark says, Mark 1, 8, I baptize with water. Is it the same thing? Is it, does it mean applying the water to them? Because look, he says, I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You're not immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always poured. That's how the Holy Spirit is looked at and received in the Old Testament. That is a fact. A lot of people don't it's know poured that. poured out on that's right. Okay. He's poured out. So, if, uh, for example, Acts two seventeen, you know, uh, he's quoting under Joel. He says, "It shall be in the last days." God says, "I'll pour forth my spirit." In verse eighteen, "I'll pour forth my spirit." That's a quote from Joel two twenty eight twenty nine. So the Holy Spirit's poured. So in Acts one five, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, that baptism with the Holy Spirit must mean pouring because the Holy Spirit's poured on you. That's just what it means. That's how the Holy Spirit is received, by the pouring on. In fact, in Acts 10, 44 through 48, it talks about the same thing. I believe it does. I can get to the verse. Let me look really fast. And I'll so I can read it. Yeah, that's right. It does say that. Um, because it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. So the wow. way the Holy Spirit is received is by pouring. That's just how it's spoken of. Well, now when we see that it says John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If immersion, baptism means immersion, and John immersed with water, you'll be immersed with the Holy Spirit. Does not work. If it means pouring, you know, you'll, John immersed you with water, you'll be poured with the Holy Spirit. Well, that makes sense historically, biblically. But there's another logistical problem. Because if John was baptizing, and he did it for two or three years, and I did some research on the population of Israel uh, at that time, and Samaria, and the areas, it was like half a million, like 500,000 people is one of the estimates, an average. 
and I've, I've read up with like two million people. Well, at any rate, if it, it says all of Jerusalem and Samaria were going out to be baptized by John. Now, all, does it mean every single individual? Obviously not. But it's saying a great many people. Well, you think about it. If he's immersing, what, 200,000 people? Because it says all that wow. are going out, a great majority of them are going out to him. Well, we don't know what the exact numbers are. But you start, so you go, wait a minute, he couldn't do that. It wouldn't work. <laughs> so you start putting flesh and blood on this, you go, okay, all right, maybe Matt Slick's got something here. I don't know. But, you know, maybe not. So I better get that, that verse from Leviticus you were talking about, sprinkling. Uh, numbers 8, 9, or 9, 8, I think it is. Let me get to it. Uh, if you go to my website and you look up why was Jesus baptized, it'll give you the references because he said to fulfill all righteousness. And I use this, this a lot when I'm talking to people who teach what's called baptismal regeneration, that you must be baptized in order to be saved because that's not true. And I'll say, well, Jesus was sprinkled. And they, oh, no, he wasn't. He was immersed. And then I show them scripture. And they're blown away because no one hears about this, which is, I, I don't know, why don't they? But that's my position. I believe he was sprinkled. Now, tell them they disagree, and that's fine, but that's my position because of what the scriptures teach in the Old Testament. So if immersion is the proper way, well, not only... <laughs> Not only there, I go into another verse. It says, uh, if you were to read Hebrews 9.10, all right? Hebrews 9, one verse later, 10. Hebrews 9.10, chapter 9, verse 10. It says, since they relate only to food, drink, and various washings. The word washings in Greek is baptismas. Baptismas. Baptism, baptismas. And if you read the context, it talks about sprinkling right there uh, three verses later. Yeah. All right, so, I'm going to read that. Yeah, there's a lot. There's people, oh, I could talk about baptism for a long time. I go to Acts 22, 16, 238, uh, Acts 10, 44 through 48, 1 Peter 3, 21, Galatians 3, 27, uh, Acts 1, 5. Uh, you know, I love talking about it. Uh, and I have some questions I still don't have answered yet when I, as I'm studied. But I'm learning. You know, I keep studying. <laughs> All right. And I'm learning, to, learning also. Good. Thank well, you, man. Together. You're welcome. God bless. All right. Okay. All right. That was Joe from Richmond, Virginia. The next longest wait in person is ja Janet or Jeanette from Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome. You're on the air. Thank you. It's Janet. That's fine. Okay. Um, I have a unusual question, but it's kind of on my mind. Lately, I have been using um, essential oils, and I mm -hmm. found out that they have a lot of health benefits, and that they've yeah. been it's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, but I know that the wise men brought Jesus, uh, Frankenstein, and Myrrh, and I was mm -hmm. just wondering what would they possibly be doing that for? What would it be used for for him? Or oh, uh, they represented. Oh, I used to know this one. They represented certain elements. They were offered to royalty, frankincense, and myrrh, and uh, they were valued, very, very valuable, and so they were offered as sacrifices uh, and gifts to the kings. So that's that's what would happen. And essential oils, my wife will use those too because she has a lot of health issues. And uh, okay, so they're helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that um, Frank said Murray is still sold today. I mean, you, you can purchase that and use it. Yeah. So I didn't know what they used it for in his day. Did they 
use the oil or did they just give it as a gift? It was as you know? a gift. Well, they would use them for, I think, for medicinal reasons and for okay. cleansing and for making things smell better. And uh, Okay. So, you know, uh, okay. it's okay. Uh, gold, kind frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah, yeah. nice gift. Okay. Oh, okay. Great. Well, thank you. I just wanted to know that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, have, a good, have a good evening. Yes. Good okay. Time. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, let's get to Randy from North Beach. From let's not get to Randy. Let's get to Diane from Virginia. Hey, Diane, welcome here on the air. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. What do you got? I need to make a decision. I'm glad okay. I need to move, and I live in a rural area. It's a beautiful area. It's a pretty nice the area. Um, but uh, I feel ca- I feel called take care of my sister and my mother because they need my help. Okay. I'm good at taking care of elderly people. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm at a crossroads because I'm trying to decide what God's will is. Because that's what I'm supposed to do okay. is to ask God what he's doing. And, but if I stay where I am, it, um, it's better for my health. But to me, to them, to help them, which I want to do, but it's worse my health. So I'm. Um, um, what do you do? Yeah. I don't yeah, these are these are tough things. How much worse would it be for your health over there? It could there? be very. Well, could be yeah, very bad. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Then. Yeah. Then move them to where you are. It's not there, possible. Okay. My mom's in a retirement home, and that's where she has to stay. Oh. And she's, yeah, she's well taken care of there, but I she's see. getting to the point where she needs she needs additional assistance, and I can I can provide that. I can I can be the gap yeah. in the situation, and I want to be because it's my mother. And she's awesome. Right. It's so. Are you able to so, go there for? short periods of time and help out or and and come back and get respites you know in a different area if because i don't know what the conditions are that you have or why a, a different environment would be so harmful but uh well ultimately of- my question is okay i asked i asked god to help me make this decision and i need to um I want to do God's will, and I need, need help understanding, knowing what God's will is. Right. And I know, I know it takes patience, but I don't. I don't have a lot of time. Right. You know, sometimes the will of God is not knowing the will of God. Sometimes that's what God wants, so that you are free to make a choice. And sometimes He shows up in the most difficult times in those choices when you're not sure which direction to look or which direction to go because on one hand you want to do what's right and help your mom and dad but on the other hand if you do it'll injure yourself and depending on how bad it would be uh, you know I can only tell you what I would probably do and I would probably go help and see if I could survive and, and do conditions and do things to make myself healthier while I do that 
but we're out of time. Okay. I wish we could talk more about it, but maybe you can come back tomorrow and talk about it. Okay? Sorry, Diane, yeah. we're out of time. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Boy, you know, that was... wish we could have talked more about that. May the Lord bless her, and by His grace, back on air tomorrow. Talk to you then. Another program powered by the Truth Network.